Okay, so today we're considering continuing with our series, Eight Essential Elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel. And this is the 107 installment, 107th lesson in the series. Uh, we've been on element seven out of the eight elements for a while. Uh, we're actually all the way through letter O in the alphabet. I think the longest we went, we actually had to do Z, A, B, C, and D on, on uh, element uh, five, which is Jesus Christ, the, no, element four, G, five, Jesus Christ, the solution. We did 30 weeks, and then we did 24 on receiving Jesus, what it means to receive Jesus. So now, uh, element seven is the fact that if you go through the book of Acts and you look for patterns and models in the scripture, which is part of what it uh, is going to take if we're going to ever hope to see biblical Christianity restored in our day, we need to look for all kinds of patterns and models. And so we actually did a week or two, or two or three weeks on the pattern of Jesus in terms of his experience with the Holy Spirit and so forth. And then if you go through the book of Acts and you see the five major examples where the scripture kind of zooms in, on a group of people coming to Christ, you'll see that they went through five steps in, at the beginning of their Christian life. Those are listed in Roman numeral 2A for you. They include receiving Christ, water baptism, baptism in the Spirit, deliverance and healing, and then finally entering and maintaining a New Testament lifestyle, which most Christians live far below in terms of our experience today. Now, um, the last message, uh, we started uh, Element 7.0, which we're doing a corresponding series overlapping, which is on the third step of receiving Christ called Baptizing the Holy Spirit. We have a short four-part series that we made years ago that usually people go through before they get baptized in the Spirit as around here. Most probably, oh, Somewhere around 50 to 70 of our members have gone through those four teachings with one of the older brothers or sisters in, or some, you know, and uh, have then get, gotten prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit. And uh, that's certainly available to you. This series is just a, quite a bit more complete. So in fact, last week we looked at uh, the fact that the phrase, the, the promise of the Father, which we're going to talk about more in detail today, we looked at the fact that it's for every follower of Christ, every believer, those who are called. And we mostly focused on who are the followers, and we looked at their merits or qualifications, which are not performance-based, they're grace-based. The followers of Christ are people who tried not to be followers of Christ, <laughs> but God won. You, you, know, you did not choose me, but I chose you. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who shone in our hearts, you know, uh, through the light of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Um, Ephesians 2, Romans 3, lots of places tell us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. It's amazing how in the uh, modern Christianity, which is very men-centered, there's so much emphasis on man's choice and man's helping himself and pulling himself up from his bootstraps. But the bio, dead men don't help themselves. They don't hear very well at all. <laughs> they don't do, do well at eye exams. Uh, when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, 
It was Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the will of God the Father, who enabled Lazarus to hear that. Otherwise, he, you know, you, you could go, you could tell a stone to walk, but that stone's not going to walk unless the Lord decides to, uh, like Jesus said, that he could cause praise to come out of even these stones. Uh, so we looked at uh, basically the doctrine of grace. And I, uh, if you look on your notes there at uh, about an inch above the, first, the middle punch, I put Sola Gracia 2013. I wanted to just remind us that uh, by grace alone is one of the five solas of the Reformation. Give, somebody give me one of our bulletins from today, please. If you notice on the back of your bulletin, um, it says Reformed. In part of Reformed theology, and this is on our website as well, if you go under on the page called Mission, at, uh, our little acronym Reformed, Orthodox, Charismatic, and Kingdom Orient, Reformed is that we embrace the ideas of the Reformation, including what's called the five solas. And in 2013, John did a whole series on the five solas. Sola meaning alone. So much of Christianity today is salvation not by grace alone. You know, we teach our kids to perform and we teach them to do right and to be good little boys and girls and so forth. We don't teach them the depth of their sin and their utter need for the grace of God to create in them a clean heart. We don't lead them to Christ. We lead them to be externally performing little good Christian boys and girls, going to church and not stealing very much and not lusting very much and not <laughs> too proudful and not getting too bad of grades and, 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 and stuff. Instead of just utterly helping them to see that we are all born into sin and we need to be rescued by the grace of God and by the means of God's grace. So I, I recommend uh, both John's Sola Gracia, or Sola series, which is Sola Gracia is one of the weeks in, in 2013. You gotta go way back in the podcast to get to that. And then I think it was 2015 that I did the Grace Upon Grace series. And I was just talking to a young Christian uh, the, on Friday night, who um, has been a Christian for 20 years or so without ever growing past kind of the first steps of getting started in Christ and not making much progress, never having really been a part of a church or never really having read the Bible and never having shown much progress or fruit in Christ. And this person was telling me how, how much the Grace Upon Grace series was totally revolutionizing their life. It's amazing how many people say, well, I don't need to go back and listen to John Sola Gracia or Sola series, but you do. You, if, you, if you can't give a teaching on that yourself, to yourself, uh, I recommend you restudy those things. That's why they're on our website. That's why they're on the back of our bulletin because they're so foundational. So that's what we looked at last week. Um, and we basically said that the promise of the Father being baptized in the Holy Spirit with the accompanying gift of a prayer language, speaking in tongues, uh, and with that being a stepping stone into greater fruits, greater gifts, greater experience of the Holy Spirit more frequently, more often, which is a tool of God's grace to help you grow, 
That is a beginning step for every Christian. Just like every Christian should be given a Bible. And someone should sit down with every Christian and show them how to start. Uh, I always just start people in Matthew 1 and Genesis 1. And I say, read the whole New Testament, then read the whole New Testament again. Then again. We highly recommend in this church that you read the New Testament three to seven times in the first one to three years of being a Christian. Read the Old Testament three, four, or five times in the first one to seven years or one to three years of being a Christian. Those, that's, that will start to get you acclimated to thinking God's thoughts. In Isaiah 55, today that, that passage is mistaught. In Isaiah 55, 11, God says, your thoughts are not my thoughts, and nor are your ways my ways. And, people, and you hear preacher after preacher say, see, our thoughts aren't God's thoughts, nor are our ways God's ways. Well, that's true when we're fallen and unregenerate and not very mature in Christ and unsanctified. But Isaiah is rebuking the people of Israel with that. He's saying, by now, you ought to be thinking God's thoughts, and you ought to be living God's ways. And you ought to know what the heart and mind of God about everything is because you have fully immersed yourself in, in God's word. In Colossians, Paul tells us, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. You're, you have to be baptized into the scriptures. You need to be immersed in them. They, we need to be people of the book. They need to be what we talk about at our dinner tables. They need to, you know, if you haven't read Joel Beakey's book, it's one of our 12 foundation books about family worship, you need to practice that as a family. John had an excellent teaching about that as well that's on the podcast. So today we want to turn the corner and look at what is this promise of the Father? The nature and the scope of the phrase, the promise of the Father. And I'm making this statement that Pentecost... And notice I'm not saying personal Pentecost. Even though as, as you have to come into Christ individually and you have to come into a Pentecost experience individually, however, that whole personal, radical, individualistic emphasis of modern Christianity is so counter to the Bible. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, one of the seven phrases of the Bible that use the phrase, or seven passages of the New Testament they use the phrase, baptized in the Holy Spirit, saith, by one spirit you are all baptized into one body. One of the effects, one of the fruits of getting baptized in the Holy Spirit is you should discern Christian community. You should discern the importance of the Lord's Day. You should discern the importance of serving one another in small group prayer meetings and from house to house and in all the different ways we serve one another uh, in community and share our lives from bleaching the buildings to small group prayer meetings to uh, discipleship Bible studies, to all, all that we do together. The Holy Spirit is a personable spirit and one of the main attributes of God is he's personal. And as when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will start to overcome a lack of intimacy, which we all have in our sinful nature. You know, people uh, even have psychological ideas that when you go through counseling or whatever, that you have intimacy issues. You have issues uh, with not knowing how to relate to people very deeply. 
in very closely and you don't know, understand how to observe boundaries in relationships and there's boundaries in marriage, there's boundaries in, in father-son relationships, there's boundaries in the church and, and, uh, but those boundaries aren't just to keep one another at a distance. God, the Holy Spirit, will cause you to want real relationship. I was talking to somebody uh, just yesterday who was talking about how they used to relate to so many people at work and other venues out of their social neediness. And they were talking about how as they got deeper in Christ and deeper in community, they didn't relate out of, so, out of neediness anymore because they didn't, weren't filled with neediness anymore. And, and it gave them a much better place to actually love and serve other people because uh, you can't really love and serve people when you're, re, when you're codependent and needy in relationships. All right, so let's get into this statement. Pentecost is the pinnacle and the plenitude in uh, the pledge of all God's purposes and promises. Now, that's six Ps when I like five, but oh well, or seven. I hate six, but uh, I thought about just leaving out Pentecost and saying getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. But uh, what the heck? Uh, it was a shorter way to say it. So uh, we're going to go through this a little bit. So the first thing I want to point out, which we've already pointed out a number of times in this series, on Ascension Thursday, Jesus told the disciples uh, in Luke's version, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you're to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Now, if that's one of the last statements Jesus made, wouldn't you think it's pretty important to study what, is the, what does he mean by the promise of the Father? I don't know about you, but like, you know, I, I've, uh, when people are on their deathbed, hopefully if they have a mission in life, when they realize they're coming down, you know, I got news to, uh, this week that one of my best friends is very sick and so forth, and it causes you to kind of rethink, uh, you know, like, I'm going to live wisely. I'm not going to waste a bunch of time and waste a bunch of words and, keep, and have a bunch of I'll hope to get to it laters. Uh, going on in my life. So when Jesus is about to ascend, he tells them to wait in the city till they receive power from on high, and he calls that the promise of the Father. In Acts 1, 4, and 5, he defines it. He says to wait for the promise of the Father, which you heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit many day, not many days from now. That's what the promise of the Father is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will receive power, not just to witness, but to be becoming a witness corporately and individually all of your days so that more and more and more your, your life is a witness to the reality of Christ's resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit matures and sanctifies you. You'll receive the ability, the enablement, our slogan as a church, acceptance as you are, empowerment to grow. You know, people say, why do you want to encourage people to read so much? Because reading will empower you to not just have someone else's opinion about things. 
reading the, the fullness of scripture and reading the right kinds of books and understanding church history and theology and, and understanding it comprehensively and all these things empower you not to be led along by, by your instincts and led along by the trends of our time and our culture. Most people that you talk to today believe hundreds of lies that, that are basically just our contemporary culture's misideas. And part of what Jesus came to do was by the Spirit, the Spirit of truth, lead you and guide you into all the truth. The light should always be coming on as a Christian. There should always be more light. Uh, that's biblical. All right, so um, flipping over to the page, to the back page, when, what I want to kind of help you understand is that all the promises of God are one promise. So if you notice in, in most of the places in my notes, although I didn't do it there, um, at when it says promise, then I put S in brackets after, because is it promise or promises? Yes. All the promises of God are one in promise in Christ Jesus. Now that's uh, epistemology. That's the study of how do we know. But biblical epistemology, there is one God who created one earth for one purpose and wants to have one people uh, and there is one truth, and, uh, and all, tr all truths are related to the one truth of Jesus Christ, who is the one way, and the one life, and the one resurrection, and the one light, and the one alpha, and the one omega, the beginning, the end, the firstborn from the dead. He is the truth. He is the reality. Whenever I see the word truth in the Bible, I, I substitute reality. Because it's not that God doesn't want you to embrace abstract concepts of truth. He wants you to encounter truth. And he wants truth to become you. And you to become truth. Through your experience, powerful experiences with the presence of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm almost cold. Thank you, Lord. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is the first time that ever happened on a Sunday morning. Um, so... Um, in 2 Corinthians 1, I decided this verse was important enough to give you the ESV, the New American Standard, and the NET. And uh, the NKJV reads the same as the ESV. So you got four translations there. Second, in ESV, it says, for all the promises, and the Greek word there is epikinalia, which we'll look at in a minute. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. And that is why through Jesus Christ, I forgot to capitalize the H, the, the, and the ESV uh, follows a modern idea. They don't capitalize the pronouns for God, which I hate. So I usually go through and actually can recapitalize all the H's. So I, I missed the second H there. Through him, that should be a capital H, Jesus Christ, that we utter our amen to, the, for, to God for, for capital H, his glory. Um, now, the same word, the New American Standard, trans, uh, New King James translates as that epicanalia as all. New American Standard, as many as. Now, that's just another way of saying all, but I like, the reason I like 
comparing translations, is I like to look at something said three or four different ways. I think it helps you kind of wrestle with it and get the impact. As many is, as NET says to, that every one of God's promises. That means every promise uh, in the book is mine. <laughs> every jot, every tittle, every line. That's an old silly song. And uh, that I like to quote when I, whenever I, uh, the, even the bad promises, even the promises of God's judgment, are, they belong to us. That all belongs to us. It's all one promise. And one hope of his glory and his presence and his coming and so forth. Every one of God's promises find their summation in one person, Jesus Christ. And in his role as the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. The other six phrases, we mentioned them in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that in, by one spirit we are all baptized in one body. The other six times that the word baptized in the Holy Spirit is used in the New Testament, all of them are in the context of John the Baptist saying that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. All four Gospels record that, and twice that's reiterated in the book of Acts, once by Jesus himself, as we already read in Acts chapter 1. The second time by uh, Peter. So... Um, What, uh, so let's ju jump on to this. The whole thing of the message of the Bible is one. What we do today is we have reduced ideas and then we find proof text out of context. To understand what we're talking about today, you have to step back and look at the Bible as written by one God. Uh, even though he used 40 different human authors on three different continents over two uh, centuries, two de uh, millennium, 2,000 years, it was written by one God, by one spirit, to declare one truth and one purpose and has one story. Uh, it has, there's a, there's a new modern word, uh, meta-narratives. And uh, it's kind of a millennial word. I think it was invented in the 90s, actually. But a meta-narrative, the Bible has an overriding meta-narrative of Jesus Christ and his kingdom and his covenants. So, in order to understand what I'm trying to do today, I want to take us through the, the, the message of the whole Bible for a few minutes. Um, and simply un help us understand this. That what, what modern evangelicals say is the, whole, the message of the whole Bible is the message of God in Christ redeeming man from his sin. I submit to you that that's a subset of the message of the whole Bible and one of the important themes, but it's not the message of the whole Bible. That is a reduced message, partly because it tends to be emphasized and interpreted in a radically individualistic way. It's about God calling me and forgiving my sins, and it tends to also be uh, emphasized in a very otherworldly sense. So God is delivering me from hell into heaven. But God is actually delivering you from your own sin into Christ-likeness. He's delivering you from being a fallen human, living for fallen motives and attitudes, and, and uh, you know, bound up by bad habits, bad attitudes, wrong motivations. He's, he came to put a new life in you, the life of the resurrected Jesus Christ, and to conform you to the image that you were meant to be before the fall of man. 
And he has come to do that in, as a part of a body of Christians in, the, in this life. Eternal life isn't a long, long time. First of all, it has nothing to do with time. I love this, the, 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 the song Amazing Grace, except the one line, which is incorrect, when it says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We, will, we are living in a realm with God where there is no time. We won't be there 10,000 years. We are already in his presence when we, are, when we come to Christ and we're seated with him in heavenly places at the Father's right hand, as Paul emphasizes. And as Jesus emphasizes when he tells us to quit worrying about tomorrow, but to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And you enter a realm where Jesus defined eternal life in John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is a quality of life that you can only touch in the present moment through him. And this is our state and always will be our state. And this is what God intended and purposed from all eternity before your grandparents knew that you would come about. <laughs> because he always knew Adam Furlow and Leah Gray and Solomon Dickerson. And he always determined their times and seasons and boundaries from all eternity. We might have just met one another sometime in the last few years or something. But he knew us from forever, even before we were created, even before we were conceived. And like Psalm 139 says, every, every day, every hair, every thought, every jot and tittle of our life was already predetermined and predestined by him. For his glory, and from him, through him, and to him are all things. To God be the glory forever and ever. Now, in the Bible, instead of this radically individualistic, otherworldly idea of redemption, God does intervene in your life at a point in time that he's determined from all eternity, and he draws you by all the things we taught in this series. He draws you to Christ. He convicts you of your sin. He grants you the repentance that leads to life. He grants you the faith. He's the author and the perfecter of your faith. And all the things we studied when we did 24 weeks on what it meant to receive Jesus Christ. That all happens at a particular point in your journey in this life. But you're entering into something that's much bigger and much more eternal and much bigger than yourself. You're entering into God's purposes, which include the following... First of all, God has always, he created the earth in the first place with a garden. And in the Bible, there's a theme of garden become, through the fall of man becomes the wilderness. But through the redemption of God, the garden of God becomes the city of God and the temple of God. Because God has always determined that he would take the perfect sanctuary of heaven and bring it to earth by creating a people who become his sanctuary. And that's why the baptism in the Spirit is actually the culmination of all the promises and the fulfillment of God. Because the baptism in the Spirit is a foreshadowing, it's a, it's a pledge. It's like when you buy a house 
Or when you rent an apartment, you have to put down a, a month in advance. When you buy a car, you have to put down something in advance. Actually, there's something quite immoral about, uh, of course, they, uh, the, about no money down and, and so forth, uh, because you've got to have some skin in the game. So, uh, you know, one of the reasons why it's important that you participate in, in washing the church with bleach or, or hanging lights or sweeping the parking lot or whatever is you have to, you have to belong. You have to be part of the family. And, you know, any parent who doesn't get, teach their kids how to take out the trash and do their own laundry, if, if your kid's still not doing his own laundry by third grade, that's a problem. Because you're not helping them have problem-solving skills and grow up and to take responsibility for their life. A lot of mothers are too tired because they do too much. I love going over to people's houses where everyone has their turn in cooking and everyone has their turn in dishes and everyone has their turn for this and that and the other thing. And uh, that's the way it should be. All right, so the city... The garden, what God always intended was to take the perfect temple, the perfect city, the perfect sanctuary of heaven, which the Bible describes as not having any light because the Lamb of God is the light and because the presence of the Holy Spirit permeates everyone and all things and everywhere. And God's goal in creating the earth and creating mankind was to bring that temple to the earth not to bring you to heaven, was to, but to bring heaven into you and in you and through you to the whole earth. God's here to take over. And that's what the whole message of the whole Bible is, which is amazing because most forms of Christianity today are reductionist and escapistic and pessimistic about the whole earth. And they they're, uh, retreat us from real life and and, uh, and so forth, instead of celebratory of real life. You know, and we, we're so scared of everything, we try to protect our kids from you know, not only humanism, from, but from their own sexuality and from, you know, everything under the sun, instead of causing them to bring all of that under the love of God. So the Bible as a whole is that God is bringing his city to the whole earth. That is, the, the temple is a theme of the whole Bible. That's why it starts with the temple of heaven. Adam and Eve were to be a temple. When they fell, God called Adam and so forth because another theme is God always wanted a people for his own possession. I forgot, I ran out of space, but you should add to this teaching somewhere, maybe to point D on the back down there, Exodus 19, 5 and 6. That when God made covenant with Israel after the 10 plagues, and he meets with them in the wilderness just before he gave them the 10 commandments. You have to read the 10 commandments in context. The purpose of the 10 commandments is God says in Exodus 19, you shall obey everything I say, And then you'll be to me a special people, a holy nation, a peculiar treasure. You'll be my special treasured people. Because that's what he intended to have, a people that was his temple from all eternity. 
That's what we're supposed to live together. That's what you're supposed to do at family dinner. That's what you're supposed to do in, in little prayer meetings and, and whatever else we do. So um, the sanctuary, garden, city, uh, dominion that we are supposed to, the, 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 we are supposed to exercise the rulership of the king of heaven in all of his domain. You know, people a few centuries ago used to understand that like when uh, there was a time when England uh, was, uh, was one of the top imperial powers and they said the sun never set on British soil. And so, you know, Kenya was part of, of Britain, uh, the United States, 13 colonies, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, you, you know, we could go on and on and on, India, and so forth. Most of us in this church come from places that were once British. And uh, what, they, what the Br British did is they would send a governor. And the governor was the reason the Kenyans liked to drink tea. <laughs> they liked to drink tea because it's British. And that's why Anvesh likes tea. <laughs> right? Because, he, because the governor brought British culture to the British domains. Now, in the kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit is the governor, and what he does is he brings the kingdom of heaven and the culture of the king and the laws of the king and the ways of the king and the economic ideas of the king and so forth to the, and through the church to the whole world. And the, the more the world rebels into forms of economic systems and political systems and humanistic schools and everything else that are anti-biblical and anti-Christian, and the more the church retreats into just having a message that has to do with our pietistic, shallow, spiritual things, instead of conquest of all things under the lordship of Christ, the more the church becomes beat back into a corner where we're increasingly irrelevant. But we need to say to the world, by our lack of having debt by our financial management, by the way we raise our kids, we need to say this is the way the kingdom functions. You want to have healthy kids? Live how we live. You want to have economic prosperity? Live according to the biblical views of work ethic and, and, and frugality and savings and budgeting and tithing. You know, churches want to teach about tithing because they want your money, but they don't want to teach you about all the financial management principles of God's kingdom. But we're supposed to be the lenders, not the borrowers. It's not supposed to be the banks that are supposed to be lending. The church is supposed to be lending instead of the number one institution that doesn't pay its bills on time. Of all institutions, what they call standard industry classifications, the number one worst type of, of entity for not paying its bills in, in, in Western culture is churches. We are supposed to be exactly the opposite of that. If you, think our, if you think our Christianity has anything to do with reality or the Bible, you, you're just dreaming. We are supposed to be the head and not the tail, the lender, not the borrower. And all of that is what the Bible says in a nutshell. Now, 
When you learn how to read your whole Bible, learn to recognize, find, and experience Christ as the from all, the through all, the in all, and the for all, the all in all. That's what John's, uh, the first series on the podcast, Finding Christ in the Old Testament, was about. And both he and I have given probably more than 50 teachings each since then, probably more than 100 each, on how to find Christ in the whole Bible. So learn how to study your whole Bible and how to see Jesus as a type, Joseph is a type of Jesus, and Caleb is a type of Jesus, and on and on and on and on. And the Passover lamb is a type of Jesus, and so forth. Then learn to trace biblical imagery from cover to cover. Learn how to talk about, okay, it starts with this sanctuary of heaven coming into a garden, and that garden gets despoiled, and so there's these wildernesses, especially in Exodus and in Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness, but there's other wildernesses and so forth. And the, but, but that's because God will make, the Bible promises that God is going to make the wilderness bloom. And it's going to become a garden again. And it's going to be, fill the earth with new life and so forth. And it's going to be the people of God who do that. Jesus is coming again by restoring his people. <laughs> He's coming again in a very different way than what people today expected he's coming. As they didn't recognize how he was coming the first time he came. Jesus is going to come by pouring his spirit out on all men and restoring us so to the point where, you know, you ought to, if you've walked with Christ for any length of time, people ought to pay you like $1,000 an hour just to talk to you. <laughs> they really should <laughs> not that you would charge them but it's kind of like you, 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 have, you have to understand their closest encounter with reality in the kingdom of God is when they walk by you at Kroger's you better conduct your business right and, and your, have your work ethic right and raise your kids right and so forth because you are the only link to reality they have in a very, in, and they are much more lost than you think. So learn to, to take the repeating biblical images, word pictures, types, and metaphors of the whole Bible and follow them all the way through. Learn to develop from Genesis to Revelation all the major biblical themes, including kingdom, covenant, a people for his own possession. Redemption is a small subset of that. It's not the whole idea as modern evangelicals say. It's just a stepping stone into the bigger picture. The temple, the sanctuary, the garden, all of fruitful covenant succession. Remember the message we did on adoption in this uh, thing? Restoration. God wants to restore everything that was damaged by the fall from your marriage to your finances to your work ethic to your attitudes to your motivations to your wisdom, to your understanding, uh, everything. He wants there to be no shadow of difference between who you are at Friday night worship and who you are alone in your bedroom. Family, church, bride and bridegroom, father and children. We're living in a time where we accept it as normal uh, that people are growing up in fatherless homes. 
And even most Christian fathers are pretty bad fathers and hardly ever read any books on what it means to be a good father. If you're a father and you're not reading one, two, or three books a year on how to be a better father, what the heck are you doing? It's your most important assignment in life. And if you're married and you're not reading a, 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 a books on, on marriage and how, to be, and how to do family devotions and how to treat your wife, and, and so what the heck are you, then you're just, you're in spiritual la-la land. You're living in a fantasy world. Jesus came not only to set you free, but to rebuild you into the, to a much greater person than you can ever think or imagine. He doesn't come to give you a bunch of theoretical answers. He came to make you the answer. So, learn to read the Bible that way, and then you'll understand this bigger theme that we're trying to get at today, is that... Re- the, after redemption, you, when you are redeemed, when you receive Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your life in regeneration. But it's very clear that he comes into your life in a subsequent experience called being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are many people who are not baptized in the Holy Spirit who have some degree of spirit-filledness in their life and so forth. We're not saying that they don't. And there are many people who've been baptized in the Spirit who don't stay filled with the Spirit very much. And don't learn to walk in the power of the Spirit. And, by the, and the Spirit hasn't become their reality. But God has called you to be a Spirit-filled, supernatural person. That's, Paul is actually shocked when he's talking to the Corinthians and he says, aren't you living like normal people? Like, if someone could look at your life and go, oh, they're just a pretty good person, what the heck are you thinking Christianity is? I would say you're standing at the door looking in instead of entering. People should look at your life and go, wow, I'd do anything to be more like that person. And they shouldn't think of the, this, you know, we, we kind of still think of some of the more zealous and mature ones as like, in some special category. No, that they're just starting to enter into normalcy. The ones who are more anointed and more knowledgeable and more humble and more consistent and more uh, less demonic and less bound up and so forth, they're just the ones who are starting to step into to salvation. Who've made the first baby steps, baby stepping, into the kingdom. That's from What About Bob? Uh, one of the great movies. Um, so I listed a couple books here. We were talking at our elders' meeting about how often, I very often get people call me and say, What books do you think I should read? And then I'll go, Have you read our 12 foundational books that, that John and Emily worked for three years on so that we could make them easy and something you can read in one year? How and we so if we're now in July, have you read six of them this year? Maybe that's what you should read next. Now the other two books are, are listed on the back of it on the other topics because they tell the same message, but they might require a little bit more vocabulary and reading skills and, and maybe a little bit more familiarity with the Bible to really understand them. But those are all great books to start on how to do what I'm talking about. Because when you do that, then you'll begin to see 
that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, and they, of course, all count, culminate in being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then, and we're probably going to have to get into this one more week because we're out of time here. But getting baptized in the Holy Spirit is a foretaste of the powers of the age to come, Hebrews 10, 10 29 says. It doesn't make you mature in Christ, but it's like when you buy a house. Uh, you know, Roy is in sales. I imagine that not only do you want him to sign a contract, but as often as possible, you want some money down, right? <laughs> What's that? 30%. Yeah, 30%. Okay. You know, we just did this and we put 50% down because they want to know, are you really serious? <laughs> right? That's, God gives you the Holy Spirit and you start to enter into the power of the age to come because he's get, saying, John Luke, I have this great inheritance for you. Here's the first installments. And as you learn to walk in my word and walk in covenant reality with your brothers and sisters, and you learn to study who I am and experience who I am and be filled with my spirit and be refilled with my spirit and so forth, you're going to continue to get deposits until your life is so rich you can hardly stand it. <laughs> That's what it's supposed to be to be a Christian. You're supposed to experience like... I'd, Lord, you know, the old lady said, uh, Lord, I'd like to be a Pentecostal, but I don't know if my heart could take it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, just kidding. But uh, <laughs> so we're going to look at uh, these words, Pentecost, Pinnacle, Plenitude, Pledge, Purpose, uh, and Promise probably next week. Because this is a subject I, I hope to God you'll come to grips with. All the promises of God culminate in one promise to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Almost all the spiritual warfare you can, can muster is against people stepping in to the person, power, and ministry of the Holy Spirit in our day and age, which will take you into covenant relationship with, not, with the body of Christ and with, and with church and the kingdom and, and there are all kind of other things if you allow the Holy Spirit to take you on the journey he wants to take you on. Amen.